0: Welcome to the Cognitive Rampage podcast. I'm your host Adam Lowry as usual and I am excited about today's guest. Uh, it took um, some high-tech technology uh, to line up today's guest but um, the Jill Wheeler as I've been referring to her this week uh, once I got excited when she was booked on the podcast but uh, she's a uh, Awesome. Let me just say that. Okay. I mean, there's, I could go on a a very long descriptive, but uh, first just go to GeoWheeler.com. That'll explain everything else, but uh, she's a, well, I'll give you the politically correct, right? She's a licensed mental health counselor, Uh, but I would tell you that she is an inspirer. She's a mover. She's a optimizer, a competence cultivator, uh, someone who really cares about it. And, you know, frankly, this is the first time we've met, but uh, obviously I've, vet people before they come on and I look at how they talk what they do uh, what they're involved with and not to mention that uh, her name was brought up multiple times by uh, our guest uh, Andrew Maranti uh, who I love love your brother shout out to you Uh, and we had to you know her well fit girls program was mentioned a few times actually in both podcasts which is what she's the founder of and uh, I'll let her tell you more about that Andrew has explained it on some a few podcasts but that's just the founder part. You know, there's a story to everybody. And the story to Jill uh, is inspiring from beginning to end the way I've seen it. And, you know, I think she's just getting back to from like traveling to a whole bunch of places, running a whole bunch of marathons. Uh, I don't know. So some kind of uh, amazing athlete and mom, uh, wife, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. But like I said, I'm excited to have her on. She's in the same field that I am as well. Uh, so it's always nice to talk to a colleague that I also see is not strapped into the regulations and conservative guidelines sometimes that are put down uh, by this field. You know, she's uh, she's open, she's an optimizer, and she's joining us uh, now. So uh, hello, Jill. Welcome to the Cognitive Rampage podcast.
1: Thank you. It's so great to be here with you. Even though I'm so far away, I feel like kindred spirits were right here sharing a cup of coffee, maybe some ginger, lemon, Nepali tea even?
0: Oh man, I would trade you. I got some uh, decent uh, caveman coffee with a little MCT oil in it to keep me going. I figure I got to keep up with you. And you know what? There's something resonate in my head just to let you know how transparent this podcast is. When I did your introduction at the very end there, when I said, welcome to the Cognivant, I almost vomited. After I said that, because I sounded like one of those damn radio pr- guys like, with that freaking voice. Jill, I've been, working, I've been working months and months on trying to get rid of the, hi, welcome to the I sound like a stripper DJ guy. This isn't what I really talk like, <laughs> but welcome to the show. Oh, it was annoying. Uh, I, I heard myself at the end. I go, hi, Jill, welcome to the Cognitive Rampage podcast. Jesus.
1: Okay, well, let's put it this way. And this is going to be really real. I've been traveling for almost six months, the world, and I haven't literally spoken to very many Americans, so just hearing your voice as an American is very comforting and feels like home. So how's that for some perspective? We we have seen very few Americans on this world journey, so I didn't hear anything, but yay, we're family, so let's go from there.
0: Oh, it's that true. is what a cool perspective. So many people don't understand. I'm trying to fathom really what that's like, you know, not being able to communicate in the tongue that you were brought up in and being out. So, I mean, if you want to start there, take me on this world travel. Where'd you push it? I'm going to give you the mic so I don't go all ADHD on you and, and rant all hypomanic caffeine induced. Okay. I
1: think that our pace will work, work really well together. And some of my favorite podcasts are the ones that are just, you know, batting back and forth. So let's put it this way, a couple of things. You said um, competence cultivator and optimizer. And those two words really captured um, the spirit of what I do and and also the spirit of what you do and really resonating with that. So um, I've worked really hard over the last five plus six years in um, getting back to my roots as a mental health counselor. And uh, leader, facilitator, um, coach, in in people's lives as um, an individual clinician, as a personal coach and therapist, and also as a group facilitator. So leaving on this journey was a huge, um, well, a mission and also a journey because I felt in a lot of ways I was leaving my people.
0: And we interrupt this broadcast. Don't worry, it gets much better. It was coming in and out. Um, and I interrupted just to let you know, don't cut the podcast off. Uh, we reset the podcast and sign her back on. Keep in mind, she's in Kathmandu, so uh, it definitely gets better. Don't worry. Back to the show.
1: Leaving the tribe that I so many years, and they nurture. And um, yet along the way, every experience, every turn, every bend in the journey, has just supported the, the greater vision for this world travel. You know, supporting it, um, honoring it, and even creating that, the pathway in a more profound way. The learning, the people I've met, the clarity that I've actually um, revealed along the way that I am on the right path. I haven't left anybody, that I'm only getting more and more connected to my journey as a healer and a leader. So um, that has been hugely revealing as I travel the world and feeling more and more at home, even though I'm far away from, from our country, um, learning a lot about, about our role in the world as Americans, the responsibility we have as leaders and also as healers. And so I've read a little bit about who are doing and what you're up to and, it's just incredible. I can be this far away, and, and our paths have crossed because it's really no—it's um, no accident. Because the world needs people who are really willing to heal and lead, and not medicate and uh, quiet or pacify.
0: Mm. You. Girl, keep going. I mean, it's difficult. I'm losing you a little bit because uh, you're in Kathmandu. So I'm doing my best to, you know, to, to, to catch most of what you're, you're putting down.
1: And it has been such a challenge, privilege and an honor to still be running my nonprofit halfway around the world. Um, you know, I'll meet. It'll be one in the morning. My time. I've met anywhere from 11 to five in the morning. So, the beauty of being able to stay connected.
0: Just to clarify, she was talking about running her nonprofit foundation based in Southwest Florida, uh, Naples, and running it from around the world, meeting at all various times, and um, also being able to stay connected with her people and her family uh, was important to her. She quickly starts to reference, you know, what we're not taught in school, which is that idea that we can have it all that we can pursue everything that we dream and not have to sacrifice what we love. They don't teach that. It begins to clear up after, uh, probably in the next minute or two because we reset the call. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to fill you in. Uh, she was just talking about the struggles, you know, of having to take phone calls at 5am and 7pm all the time for doing that, but how much she loves it and how she can stay connected, uh, even traveling uh, around the world. So, uh, hence the issues with the connections, but, uh, uh, back to the show.
1: Do and have it all. And we're not taught in graduate school. We're not taught in elementary school. We're not taught that in secondary school, right? We're not taught that in undergrad. I was not. I'll speak for myself. Were you?
0: Uh, no. They don't teach the awareness class. <laughs> and,
1: then- and, and the class of really, truly follow your heart, your longing, your passion.
0: And this is where we ended the call and reset it and it stays pretty clear from here on out. So, um, yeah, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, back to the show. I'm back. There she is. Hey, no worry. I love the fillers and the go-betweens. Um, <laughs> yeah. Will you get me a chance? You get, you allow me a chance to practice what I preach, which is finding the silver lining and anything that's happening. Yeah. And so I'm going to, yeah. take it as if there's a message out there that, you know, you got to get out that for some reason is wanting to distort it in a, in a possibility. But we have to keep trying when we're frustrated. Right. People still drive to work Monday morning knowing it's bumper to bumper traffic. They do it anyway. So this is what we got to do. We got to sit on technology from Kathmandu to Orlando. And I mean that literally and drive to work until we-
1: oh, you look so good right now. You look totally clear.
0: Yeah. You came in great. The connection looks much beautiful. Like you're, you're, um, not pixelated anymore. Uh, yes. you see people keep pushing and I'm going to see if I can, not that she needs it, but I'm going to see if I can rattle you back up, uh, again to what we had intro and what we talked about. And you were talking about journeying around this wor- the world and this little adventure you just went on and realizing, Um, what it felt like possibly leaving people behind that you have managed, that you have grouped, that you've worked with, that you've loved and cultivated uh, cultivated self with and power with. And then you've kind of taken them with you and you were meeting people unlike yourself. That's where you were going and you had led that into getting back to the roots of what you do and not necessarily academia.
1: Yes, I love that. You know what? Something has rung through my head my whole life and that was something for my mother and i love my mama i love her she lives in southwest florida and she knows i say this i blog about it i write about it and something she'd say to me is as a kid always that's not reality it's not reality it's not reality the way i lived my life even as a kid and as a teenager was too big and bold for the confines of my family still is and What was not reality was um, leaving my practice, successful practice, nice little family, you know, the American dream. It's not reality to leave all that and go travel. It wasn't reality for me to be a mountain guide in my 20s. Um, It wasn't reality for me to leave everything and go move to Costa Rica and teach surfing for eight months. Nothing I did was a reality except for the fact that I was doing it and I was living it. And I had this... Faith as a very young age probably around 14 and I say this in the documentary that I made warrior one Which Andrew might have talked about? Um, I say I knew I wanted to be a therapist from the time. I was 14. I just knew and I never felt I was I was understood by my family and uh, I Really still have the stork mentality that I was dropped off into the wrong family Um, And I have a twin sister which makes it even more interesting because she fits right in.
0: Yeah, well, that, interesting in a lot of ways psychologically. The the needing to be different, the needing to exchange beyond whether it's look different, be different, or escape something that seems to reflect ourselves. Um, either way, it's powerful in all of its sense.
1: Back then, I knew I knew I was different, and it wasn't the need to be different. It was just there. It was dynamic, and so. Um, you know, there was this sense of do the right thing, you know, check off the, the boxes. And I knew that there was always a, was, there was a little bit of fear around I, um, the back of my mind, the, oh, this isn't reality. How am I really going to make this work based on the childhood messages? I also knew everything led on the path if I was super passionate and connected to what I was doing and I only did things I was super connected and passionate about doing my whole life.
0: Would you, would you say, I mean, you say, well, look, we talk about athletes, right? Being born with it, right? Whatever it is. And, um, I've, researched it, if you will. And people have called it beliefs, people have called it genetic, people have called it a many things, spiritual, whatever. And how you talk about it, A, do I believe you a hundred percent? I mean I could see it in you. And so that that passion to to have it, what do you think? What what's your you're insightful. So what do you think? Do you think the opposition, what do you think really cultivate that from an epigenetic level from a young age? <clears throat> That's
1: a really good question my father was a force in my life and he's still to this day, probably my biggest nemesis. He's the only person that I feel has never really ah Yeah. When he saw my movie, finally the man cried and he, uh, was genuinely proud. He brought 22 of his closest friends to it and it was bold. I mean, the things that I reveal in my documentary are pretty bold and, um, uh,
0: yeah, shout uncomfortable <laughs> shout out doc shout out the documentary a little one.
1: it's called it's called warrior 1 and it's not uh, online yet but it will be soon you can check out our website warrior1movie.com to learn a little bit more about it and it's um it's a great journey it's a hero's journey for our girls who are involved in my nonprofit they are the motivation um, my own struggle was the inspiration To tell the story. Um, So, my father was a very rugged, is a very rugged, self made Greek man. And, um, you know, he wanted better for his daughters. Uh, But it wasn't so much opposition, it was this fierceness I had, this tenacity. Even as a child, I was the only one that could make the man stand up from the dinner table and leave. You know, I was the only one that made the man cry. Even, I've never seen the man cry. I'm the only one that's ever made the man cry. And it wasn't out of spite. It was like misdirected tenacity, even as a child. Like, it was never enough.
0: Where were you when I was a kid, when somebody was in the office trying to help me out, you know, and where was the the psychologist or the school counselor going, listen, this is misplaced tenacity. You know, I love that. Be, um, You know, I, I got to ask you, I've been re- I've been reading some things, some posts, you know, on social media and uh, so quick are uh, kids these days to be, you know, labeled as outside the spectrum, uh, abnormal. Yeah etc. And sometimes even violent behaviors, even Im- emotional, right? And because of that rigid system or that processing, if they don't cookie cutter form into it, these kids are beaten and shaped. And I, and I wonder, like you, if the misguided tenacity was actually shaped and cultivated. I mean, do you see that? What's your What's your thoughts? I mean, you, do you see that more or less? I mean...
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's around creativity and around... Um, freedom to express and I think there's so much and it was with my parents it wasn't out of um they thought it was awesome I really truly believe they thought it was amazing of a kid as a kid and of my potential but it was so much energy that um that didn't fit in okay there's a couple things and I I don't want to veer off too much really it's around fear So for all these kids that we're facing, it's fear of um, too much, fear of not enough, fear of fitting in. And I'm not talking about the kids. I'm talking about the parents and their projections on the kids, right? So my parents didn't think I was a bad kid at all. It was just they wanted me to fit in to a, a norm that would be super successful and highly acceptable by society. That was going to be easy. That life was just going to be, um, well, it ends up being cookie cutter. It's like the American dream. And my parents had that, um, not from a, a, fundamental education standpoint, but from, um, from a financial standpoint, my dad was successful only because he worked his butt off and he, um, The interesting thing when you talk about how did I get this, like, nothing was enough, my dad's a bit like that. Um, And and it's interesting because my dad is an atheist. So I was raised very unindoctrinated, and that does have a lot to do. And I attribute my creativity and my willingness to be uh, unconventional with my psychotherapy because of the lack of indoctrination as a child, which is great but there's also some some structures i had to to put in place as an adult because i didn't have this sense of belonging that a lot of kids do growing up i had an interesting childhood because i was homeschooled a lot of my childhood um and i grew up on a boat so i didn't go to school for a, for a full year at a time for about 8 years of my childhood and um i missed a lot of you know um the sort of the schoolyard, um, socialization. Yeah,
0: so I, and in many you hear a lot of people talk about that, you know, about homeschooling, the fear of losing that. So you, you truly faced that. You saw that de if you will, experience.
1: Yeah. Which, which was great. in that, Hey, I'm traveling around the world and, and I'm actually somewhat comfortable with it. And it was also a challenge through my high school years when we finally were in school, and I'd missed a lot of, I couldn't sit and study for hours at a time. I literally couldn't sit and do that. I could not. And thankfully, I had a, um, a photographic memory, and that really helped out a lot. My twin sister did not. It was a major challenge.
0: It's not natural. I mean, I argue the school system setting like crazy and I don't like and we don't got to go down this tangent. But I mean, it's not natural to force a child to spend eight hours and just doing that and shoving. I mean, there's too many studies out that prove that kids will self-taught. They will self-teach. If given the tools, the routes and the paths and the opportunities and inspiration, they will follow those interests naturally, you know, almost like you did, you know.
1: Well, I think you're right. That's the key word there is inspiration. And the school system as it is in many cases is not inspirational, right? And it's not just our, I'm sorry, it's not just our nation. It's even worse in other countries. In fact, when I was in Fiji, I learned a lot about the school system there. And it's it's a lot of rote learning by rote. It's super uninspiring. It's very um, conforming. So we're not even the worst out there, believe it or not. It's very boring. It's very uninspiring. And yet I think the seed, when you ask about where I got this, even though my parents are really conservative and they wanted, quote, unquote, better for us, we were raised really free-thinking, unindoctrinated. Um, And so I think that's given me um, a little bit more uh, courage, to create something that is not the typical psychotherapy. And what I love about you, and I was learning because I was doing my research back, is your um, willingness to be real with who you are as a as a leader in mental health, as um, a facilitator in people's personal growth. And that's where I see myself. I don't see myself as a counselor or a therapist, more so as a facilitator of people's
0: Uh, Life vision goals and experience. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, you drive me. Woo, going in rampages. I love it. Um, Going back to you know talking about the the influence of the education system and that modeling of teaching and inspiration. Like you said, I, I I like that word because you know knowledge, competence, experience. These things are what grow our our confidence. Is what grows our enthusiasms and and bursts our passions open and. If you can't inspire a generation to be excited to learn something or go into something, uh, then I think you, you're right. I think we've truly lost the battle of education and what it really is, of what competence is and experience.
1: I love what you just said about competence. And, and this is talking about education. There's a, I had a major, um, well, it, it was at the time it felt like a breakdown but it ended up being a breakthrough in college. After two years, I went. I wanted to really please my parents. I went um, to a, a really highly uh, regarded New England liberal arts school up in Maine. Uh, I grew up, like I said, I grew up on a boat, so I'd never had a winter until I, I was in high school. And I really wanted to prove that I was hardcore, which I guess this was the beginning of my rock climbing and mountaineering experience in life and it was it was it was good training but it was cold and i really hated it so after two years i i really i I studied abroad and i came home and i was very depressed and i had to tell my parents i'm not going back to maine i couldn't i didn't i didn't relate to the culture there um i was pre-med and psychology double major hated the pre-med. It was super competitive, not nice people. Um, I wanted more of an ecology um, focus as well as the psychology. And I found a school in in Arizona called Prescott College. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it is an incredibly inspiring um, college. And it's a holistic college. And what you get, you're not going to believe this, what you just said about competence, we're not just talking about education. We're talking about a feeling of leaving co- high school or leaving college and feeling competent, right? Feeling, like, confident to move forward through life as a, as a whole person, right? Educating the whole person. So, Colby, or sorry, Prescott College, um, you don't get a major and a minor. You get a competence and a breadth, Like the breadth of of knowledge is your minor, and the competence is your major. And you have to prove that. And when I went to write the current curriculum I used for my nonprofit, which is WellFit Girls, the organization that I started, it's a leadership program. It's a five-month leadership program starting now with teen girls. Um, We're in our third year. I've got a team of leaders running the program in southwest Florida, I used all the foundational work I used was from my undergraduate thesis work. And I'd already been to graduate school, and still, because I had to prove a competence, I'm still, 15 years later, using that work.
0: Well, I think the education... Entry and all it's starting to shake up. You're seeing new types of universities, if you will, open up. Uh, there's all kinds of different schooling, even online stuff from, you know, the the great lessons and creative live uh, to TED Talks. I've seen some universities uh, talking about yeah. open up like Renegade University. I forget the doctor's name. I have to reference him. But Uh, He's a professor. You see a lot of professors leaving almost that modern academia of, you know, finding new ways to cultivate uh, competence and knowledge, and there's new ways to do so. And I'm going to back up to something, a a thought that you dropped in my head when you talked about how you weren't raised in a doctrine or a structure and left to be open and creative. And a lot of people that are raised in the doctrine, et cetera, are, well, they do it almost right to provide the. Uh, so you're not afraid, right? Here's a way not to be afraid, but in in a yeah. sense, it almost creates stagnation of the blossoming of the natural person. And it seems as if it worked the opposite, you know. In you, is almost it created that expression of you. The more it tried to hold you down, the more it broke you out, and you you follow that path all the all the way through.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think that um, there were times. I really believe a big of the healing process and even before healing is actually the trauma process for a lot of people is a, is a sense of not belonging. And, you know, one of the foundations of human needs, one of the basic human needs is the sense of belonging, right? From everywhere from primitive villages and tribes to um, world religion and political parties, right? People want a sense of like, I look like you, I sound like you, we belong, we get each other, you've got my back, right? So I don't feel like I had that most of my childhood, and and I I struggled with with being alone in that I didn't have. Say a religion or a particular affiliation. Um, yet, what it did was it created more reliance not only on myself, but on developing a strong sense of, of leadership. And that's all I can say is, you know, honoring the, individual, the individuals in my program. There's no set manifesto, I have a set of guidelines, I have goals and a mission for the program but every girl that comes through my program i see as an individual and i want to honor and acknowledge her individual path as a leader and that is possible it is truly possible it's a little bit harder and it takes a little bit longer but that is the the type of uh immersion leadership that i'm creating with um the psychotherapy that i practice as well as the group leadership that there's not a cookie cutter one approach
0: I would agree, and the system speaks to this. Even the 12-step program, for one, is a one-size-fits-all example. I mean, there's tons of one-size-fits-all examples, which we know is not how you, but they teach you, right, to treat the individual, right? So uh, I couldn't agree with you more on treating the individual. You you said something interesting uh, about the trauma process and how the trauma process creates, um, you know, the new, you know, I I talk, I talk about my book that, uh, destruction is bad, but it also breeds creation. And that trauma process that you spoke to is almost a necessary, you know, to, to blossom forward, uh, in a life. And I thought that trauma process pointing that out, uh, was interesting to me. Oh, 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 yeah. Sorry. The last part is, uh, um, how the darkness really the trauma that we go through actually creates the person that we are is, is almost what we should appreciate most. It seems.
1: Oh my God. I, you, you hit it hard. I, when I was leaving, um, and this was a pivotal point in my process as a, as a therapist, but also as a human being, when I had to tell my parents that I wasn't going back to the school that I was in the in a super super dark place and it was like the dark before the dawn. I was done. Like I, all I had this vision of at the time. The only thing that got me through was I have to serve something beyond myself. It's all. That's the only thing that I could um, put words to at the time. Was there's something greater for my purpose on this planet, right? But in the moment, there was. It was this dark cloud of. I'm going to let my parents down. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know that that this isn't working right now. And after that was several months was the brightest time of my life. The darkest followed by the most creative. That's when I committed, like how do you tell your parents I'm leaving one of the most prestigious colleges in the entire country and I'm moving to Arizona to be a rock climber. Like I just knew that's what I was going to do. And I did continue with school but the main focus was i wanted to be an outdoor leader and an outdoor educator and i remember coming home after a good year of doing it and being really damn good at it like it was something i was incredible at and my dad still saying so when are you going to get a real job you know and i had a real job and, and i'd already graduated from college so i'd been you know leading for the Colorado Outward Bound School, which is world-renowned. I mean, Outward Bound is a leadership program, is is renowned. And I I still use a lot of the, the tenets and the fundamentals in my practice today from that. But I'll still never forget, he said, when are you going to get a real job? And, you know, I had to, at that point, individuate, you know. And some people individuate from their parents in their teens, we're still doing it in their twenties. Some still look. I'm in Nepal right now. Marriage is still arranged by highly educated and in governmental officials. Ninety percent of marriages in this country are still arranged.
0: Wow! Right? I did not know that. Yes. My God! I mean, I'm flooded with documentaries from Vice and Vice Land and all over. You know, you you get all the these crazy, terrible statistics, but some stats like that just slip through, right? Like. Man, ninety percent in Kathmandu is arranged marriages still,
1: and in all of Nepal, yes. And I, and I, I say that in that we're still as humans individuating from our parents at various stages and ages in our lives, you know. And for me, um, I remember so clearly in my twenties, and then I took advantage of it because then my dad said. Get a real job. I'll pay for you to go to graduate school. And I said, "Okay." He said, "You'll you'll apply now." I said, "Sure." And he paid for everything, so it ended up working out for me. But um, you know, I took as as a family friend growing up said, "Take the cookies when they're passed," and I took those cookies when they were passed.
0: <laughs> and, is, um, is that going to be I, the quote I'm going to have to write on the cave wall in here?
1: Take the cookies when they're passed. I tell my kids that all the time. You know, and, and they don't get it yet. But I'm like, you're getting offered this now. Take the cookies while they're past. They may not come by again.
0: That's good. I'm going to I may really have to write that on the wall I'm, I'm going to bring you back because I love it. I had to find my notepad because I came in here and the marker died on me. My paper <laughs> ran out. My pen is dead. And so I tried to write with it. I'm going, I can't keep up. I'm looking around for things to write. I'm like, can I prick my finger and start <laughs> writing in blood here? Um, you know, you talked about the idea. Uh, you were mentioning competence and seeking that. Uh, and yeah. the, the notion yeah. that was was coming up in your life, did you, did you see it as chasing competence or chasing experience? Or was it chasing, more chasing self-competence through experience to, to kind of find yourself?
1: concept of never crossed my mind until I went to Prescott College and it was so interesting because um, I never trusted just good feelings because I felt like I had to work I came from a you know a hard-working family background and if it wasn't hard-working then it wasn't worthy so for many many years even even to this day I I've had a lot of guilty feelings on this trip like I shouldn't just be enjoying my life. I have to be working harder or serving others. So I still struggle with um, competence as just being good enough. Like there's, I think this is really important in as a psychology. And I'm so I can't wait to read your book. Books is um, you know being good enough as versus competence versus excelling. You know, at what point is it just, you know, we're messing with our mind and just being in self-acceptance. The basis is, you know, I've been traveling through Buddhist countries for the past three months, and I'm actually in the middle of writing my recent blog, my most current blog, around the lifestyle of Buddhism because um, Buddhism saved my life in my early 20s. The, not only the concept of it, but the very simple mantra of just a few words of wisdom, right? Just a few words would actually get me through days, let alone competence. I wasn't even thinking of being great at anything. I was just wanting to get through the day, right? And so I think that we put too much pressure on ourselves to be great at things versus just self accepting this is where we are today and knowing that that there's tomorrow to get better or there's tomorrow to do more, but still being in the present of self-acceptance, honoring and self-love. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: A hundred. It's like you, I actually reference, uh, there's a line I'm very proud of in the book, actually. Um, I'm going to, I probably, I can't do it now. I'll screw it up. But eventually what I say is that you aren't, you got to be aware of the, there's a fine line between uh, self-acceptance and apathy and beware of Oh man, beware of indifference disguised as acceptance or something. I can't remember. I told you I butcher it. But many people were pushed this notion of, hey, be happy with yourself, love yourself and self-acceptance. And many times self-acceptance is really just a mask for apathy or indifference to care. And you know, why people either let themselves go or get sick or, you know, stop pushing forward. And I think many times people forget, which is one of the, I mean, you talked about doing great things and and many times and, and excelling past and the point I think people, yeah, I sell it a lot that we can, you can be happy in the now while still optimizing for better. But people draw this thick fucking line between self-acceptance and going, no, I'm happy with me. I don't need to optimize anything and going, if you're trying to optimize, just be happy with you.
1: There's also this idea that we can't be happy until we have achieved something, something outside or something in the future. And that's the balance that I'm talking about is also having this, um, and from a very Buddhist perspective, having this self-acceptance with what is right now without trying to fix, fade, hide it, optimize it even in the moment of just being with that and letting the wisdom of that experience um, impact your present moment and inspire the future. And that's kind of where this, this journey has been so powerful because I drove hard for for about five years while I lived in Naples. We were kind of neighbors, actually. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and and so i've I had Wellfit Institute, which I started which has been incredibly um successful you know staycation adventures in the everglades on the water, you know leading expeditions um outside of the country um kite surfing which was is has been the most incredible release um physical spiritual mental release in the world um and so um Just knowing that being on this journey is enough sometimes and not having to prove it, fix it, fade it, hide it to anybody, you know? Yeah. Just to hide the struggle, to hide the struggle, to fix yourself, make yourself better. I mean, it's the self-help, you know, conundrum is we're in the world. Like nothing's always been good. That's another thing. Talk about two things. My mom used to say, that's not reality. And you know what the other thing was is nothing's ever good enough for you. That's, God, I was like, if I heard that a million times, right? (laughs) It's kind of good because it's made me be like, well, nothing's good enough. I'm going to drive harder and I'm going to achieve more. And it made me, you know, the badass climber that it was. It made me super competitive. It made me run hard. It made me do all these incredible things, rock climb, mountaineer, kite surf, you know, run marathons. And honestly, there's also that piece of humility is sitting in peace and literally not having to tell anybody a goddamn thing about the five amazing things I did today. And, and it's been a journey like being on this trip and not having to explain, you know, share or promote, you know, I love this. You're going to love this. I, I um, was at this advanced yoga training a couple of years ago and this woman, oh man, I wish I remembered her name. She's a teacher in um, Texas and uh, I went to her workshop, and she said three things before she teaches, and we could all use this. She said before she teaches, she says, I have nothing to promote, I have nothing to fear, and I have nothing to defend. So she always comes in the class with those, this three mantra, I have nothing to promote, I don't have to prove myself, just being here is good enough, I have nothing to defend. Like, I, I'm honest, I'm good as I am, and I have nothing to fear. Like, the world isn't out to get me.
0: Yeah, Mike Williams, uh, Mike the Messenger, comes on. He's an educational consultant. He talks to teachers about that, about not um, posturing, you know, about coming in or forcing beliefs. And uh, being. I love that. He's going to listen to this, and he's probably going to use that. Um, so uh, that's beautiful. I I like that. And I, I got a question to ask you is, I mean, have, have you seen the movie Legends of the Fall?
1: Oh, my God, it's one of my favorite movies. All
0: right. All right. So I can use the reference about quieting the bear inside. And so Mm -hmm. if you've heard the bear since you were 14 and young and calling you like that uh, and you're out to quiet it, one, have you quieted the bear as you talked about in your 20s with Buddhism and being accepting in the now while optimizing? If Have you quieted that? And if you have or do you just manage it, where are you now with that? bear that voice? And how did you get where you are with that?
1: Hmm. It's a really good question. Um, (laughs) yeah. Okay. And I, nothing, there's not a whole lot that makes me speechless or pause. So good on you for that one. Um, yeah, (laughs) I see you dancing, chair no, no, dancing.
0: I'm shadow boxing, man. I'm getting in there. I'm getting in the psyche. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. I get it. I get it. I see. You know, you're, you're a little pixelated.
0: Oh, uh, my mentor down there in, in uh, Leo DeAnnabal. shout out to, to him. He made me everything I am as a therapist. And he is just, a, he used to teach me. He goes, Adam, you got talent, you got skills, but the problem is you kick in the front door every time and i was kind of like damn and he all and his always in the back of my mind i quote him 10 times in my book but he always goes adam learn to go in the back window it's much easier quieter and less confrontational and so i've been trying and stressing to get as i'll never be as good as him i don't think but to to get in that back window and when i can get as something like jill hey man for me that's like killing six marathons in six countries you know what i
1: mean oh sweet <laughs> um you know this, this leaving the country was a big, was a big move for me. I think the, the honest, I'll be super honest. The bear, the one, and I would almost say it was like the lie that that kind of keeps following you, you know, the lie that something's going to come out and get you, whether it be the boogeyman or the grizzly bear, or, you know, your enemy that you've personified that really isn't there. It's um, this idea of being selfish and living a truly authentic life that is um true to thyself true to thyself yet not selfish so that's a a a belief i had growing up that i didn't want to be selfish i needed to serve and honor my parents yet they they felt like i was selfish because again i was the outsider of my family um you know, my, my twin sister is very much still close to the cuff. She's very much in align, alignment with them um, ideologically, and I've gone off. So for me, taming that bear is saying, I, my passion will lead me to the greatest good and the most authentic service in the world because it's connected to a deep, unacculturated, unindoctrinated way of being.
0: Yes, that is a beautiful answer. Wow, well put. I Yeah, I love the Wow. Um i thank God that's recorded because now we can go back and look at what you said there. Uh I know I will. I'm probably going to pull that snippet out and post the uh podcast with that as the as the response to something because it, that's that's true. I mean, elaborate and more. I think-
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what this image, so I see things in, in, in pictures. And so the turning, I've had many turning points in my life with this. And one of them was I was climbing a big wall in Yosemite and it was the first big wall I did and a big wall in Yosemite rock climbing means you're spending days on the vertical right not you know how many what is the percentage of rock climbers in the world I don't know five percent so dangling. then you take
0: I you mean you're dangling in one of those sugar glider nests so you, up there
1: yeah 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 like a portal ledge so then you take then you take the, the of the rock climbers you take the big wall climbers right and and this was my first big wall and I lived in Santa Cruz California I had, and this is I really
0: I had one on yesterday. I had a big wall climber on yesterday. Who? Um, he's actually also an Oscar award-winning, uh, excuse me, Oscar award-winning uh, visual director or uh, visual uh, effects supervisor for tons of movies: uh, Transformers, Fast and the Furious, all those things. Uh, Lance Ranzer.
1: Oh, nice! I can't wait to listen to that one. Yeah, we haven't well, we haven't
0: put it out yet, so we're, he he's going to come after you. But sorry to interrupt. Uh, this is I'm cool.
1: super excited. Yeah, that's great. Well, I was in Yosemite. And, and, and anyway, I, this is well before cell phones. And um, I didn't tell my parents I was going. And um, I was still connected again, like I said, you know, probably not super individuated, even though I was in my 20s and literally living across the country. I still want to make them proud. I didn't want to scare them. So I didn't tell them. But um, we got benighted. So we didn't end up coming down that night. And a friend of mine who didn't understand the world of of big wall climbing, a day or two off schedule back then was nothing. You didn't call home for that. Well, she called home for that. And she scared the pants out of my mom. And I remember that phone call. How could you be so selfish? You know, that was the word. And it was crushing at the time. I was 23 years old because I was living on my own. I was supporting myself. I had a, a... Graduated from college, I had a dream job, and I was the happiest i would ever been in my life. So to climb big walls, I found an am- who guided me. He was like a mentor. He's a good friend of mine. He took me climbing. It was my birthday. I think I turned twenty four that year. And I just was on top of the world, literally in Yosemite. Was- it doesn't get any better than that. And I got the crushing blow of yourself fish. When you grow up, this isn't real and that um cognitive dis-
0: Yeah. We have uh, viewership coming on pretty heavy. So uh give it a second, let it reset. Um put your give me a thumbs Okay, got it. Put your thumbs up if you can hear me pretty clear without hesitation. Uh, and if I can see your thumbs up, all right, good, then you should be back clear. Sorry, Jill. Um, you, we got a lot of that. It was, but we were. I cut you off because we were just about to lose you. But we got a lot of that, definitely. Okay. That well, you were talking about the idea of of being penetrated with that word selfish. Forgive that word, but we really are. Our spirits, our souls, we're are we're, we're inundated with. Don't be selfish.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and but the. The turning point for me is in truly following the uh, that inner voice and the authentic. I call it authentic leadership, and that's what I guide through in my my groups. And I know you do group work as well. Um, we, I love you know who I love, Araya Mountain Dreamer. She says, "Can you betray others to truly be true to yourself?" And and I'm you know I'm not saying exact quote is can you be ultimately true to yourself by betraying others. And by betraying others, she means not just saying what they want to hear. Is saying, hey, that's not my truth. I'm going to betray your truth. It's not my truth to be true to myself. And you know what? I'm I'm an unorthodox type of clinician. I have a blog. Uh, I have a, a public presence on social media and Facebook. And I was not trained that way. I was trained in a very... I went to a very unconventional undergrad, like I told you, at Prescott College. Um, it was a holistic uh, program. It was incredible. Um, you had to prove your breadth and, and competence, like I said. You didn't just get to check off the boxes and get your degree. But then I chose to go to a more traditional and well-respected graduate program, and we were not allowed to have personal interactions with our clients. You know, that's unorthodox. It's not the way we do it. You know, you don't have a Facebook page.
0: No, you got to be hands off, right? You got to be so far off of that. But you bring up such a a deep paradox with that idea, though, that idea of serving others. People are feel, uh, you know, is a value or something we're called to. And then this idea of also fulfilling your authentic self of who you are. Um, and so much though, I mean, God, you got me pondering the paradox even more so about can we, can we truly be authentic to ourselves when we're serving others and their interests are supposed to be?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that there is, yeah, I think that we can, and that what I found honestly through this journey with, um, around the world, hashtag wheelers round the world is the first thing I've done Really, that scared the shit out of me. Out of the last four or five years, um, creating my own business, yes, there was a lot of work and there was some fear and there was risk. But leaving and being primarily a mother and a wife has been the scariest thing for me. Traveling the world, great, awesome. I love trying new foods. We're kite surfing everywhere we go. We're trekking. We're all these climbing. All these great things. But truly, showing up every day as a mother and a wife is is was really scary and but, not scary, not natural for me.
0: Scarier than dangling off a cliff in a freaking way, trash. Way, bag.
1: way, 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 way scarier. Because again, you know what was I facing most is the big S word. Selfish. Oh, yeah. Because I was, I was afraid that I was going to have to face that on a regular basis. Like, get me out of here. You know, it's too much. Um, being needed it's too much um you know of of uh, immersion it's too much um melting um our needs you know like and what i found is being really true to our our needs is inspiring to others it hasn't been a clash even with my clients i have people following me now who i'm getting I'm inspiring more than I did when I was in practice because I'm actually living what seems the impossible and authentically, and it's having more of an impact than what I was doing inside the office. or as much as
0: doing it how we're told we're supposed to do it thank you which is we if who are we as practitioners to tell people to step out of the supposed to's in their own life but yet have to practice in our own profession of helping other people within borderlines of of uh control you know so you know you talked about earlier your uh mom I believe mentioning the word reality and throwing that word around that there's you know don't you know reality I think the we've talked about two heavy words here reality and selfish and people would tell you that if you go off on your own to follow what you believe love and want to live well then you are then following selfishly uh your own life and I mean, that's, that's true. So, I mean, selfish is such a big deal of, I think, you know, keeping people down of away from who they are, you know, and breaking out of those borders. Those are, these are two huge words that, you know, we're throwing around, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know what? I need to plug in. I'm just realizing, um, burning through. Can can we hold for one sec?
0: Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to, I'll, I'll run through all this. No worries. I, I like filling in. One sec. Yeah. You know, I've noticed over the last couple of shows that I've done, um, I'm probably purposefully doing it. I don't know. But the more I talk to people and hear about their lives, I can start to connect. I find ways to connect uh, their young, uh, young childhood days and then kind of how they come up through their 20s and then can see almost how that makes them who they are at the present moment. You know, I don't like to say people are who they are. I think we always change. So uh, I think Jill's been aware of that change and that. You know, that that that's self-competence and chasing it You know and chasing that voice. And I'd ask you out there to ponder what we're talking about. I mean, is it about serving others only? You know, is it about following your own desires? Is that selfish to do so? I mean, you know, I'm going to bring up a a point when she gets back about the idea of selfish that a lot of people talk about, where if you talk to someone and they tell you, I don't want to have kids, what's someone's first response to that? Oh, how selfish of you, right? As, as if there's a lack of people right now on the planet and we're not looking out for our species by not wanting to breed. Um, so when I hear people talk like that, that's another time where that word selfish is thrown around to where you say, oh, you're not going to have a kid. How selfish. Uh, oh, you're going to go travel the world on your own and leave your paycheck oh. behind. How selfish. And, you know, I've mentioned, I've been elaborating on the selfish word for a while and I brought up a point to where, Uh, I faced it a few times even to where uh, you talk to someone and if they tell you, hey, you know, I just really don't want to have kids or get married. The first response to that is, well, how selfish are you as if there's a shortage of people population here and we're not looking out for our kind. And, you know, even that is greeted with that selfish confrontation of how dare you not do what I do. But, you know, Jill, could it could it be that maybe this society in particular, not for around the world speaking, but our values or who we are is, you know, so many things other than us are trying to convince us who we are, or what we're supposed to be. And so through all that we get chopped up in what is supposed to be. And we chase those ideas almost to the, to, to death, really. Oh yeah. yeah. I, 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 I definitely,
1: definitely think, oh, oh gosh, gosh, there's a horrible, horrible echo. echo.
0: Mute your mic. Oh. I'm muted if it's echoing. No, and okay. Is that better? Definitely. Yeah,
1: that's better. Okay. So I, yes, I absolutely think that, that again, it goes back to some indoctrination and what, what is stifling. And I, I'll speak specifically to my, my, the population that I work with a lot, which is teen girls. And, and this could relate to all populations, but what we're seeing is people are waiting. A lot of teens, especially teens. Kids and even young adults are waiting, pausing before they speak and act authentically because they're waiting for what they should say and waiting for what they should do. And it could be based on, you know, whatever um, social norms that they grew up with, family expectations, um, cultural um, expectations. Now, I would say. And I've traveled for many, many years, even before this journey. But what's unique about this journey, and I'm taking it now around the world consecutively. And anybody who's done a very intensive around the world trip, and not—I'm not talking about you know within a couple months. I'm saying taking a year to do something like this. You can see cultures. You can compare and contrast them as you're as you're actually living this so in, intensively that I will say yes. As Americans, we have much more freedom of in mind than many other places. I really will say that. Save Europe. I haven't been to Europe um, on this journey and have met a lot of Europeans who are real free thinkers and actually have a lot more freedom than we do. Um, um, but for the most part, as a developed nation, we have more freedom to create, to sell,
0: you you talked about the free mind. I think so many people are focused on the physical freedoms laid out before in some ancient piece of paper when rather looking at this idea of the freedom of the mind, because you know, it's not just the physical freedoms missing in a lot of places. You're right. It's that even the the thought that they could think outside their own perception of beliefs.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean I, I have Except and I don't mean to get political. I'm except for the fact that Donald Trump is a forerunner in our nation right now Which and I'm not just saying this to be funny It is disturbing to many people to the majority of the people I'm meeting around the world Not that they're not only laughing at us. They're they're literally Frightened for the future of the world. They see us as world leaders and perhaps We've gotten too accustomed to freedom that we've forgotten how important and how vital and how sacred this responsibility is. I mean, it is not just a right. It is a responsibility that we have to the world, okay? This is serious. And um, I would allow, and I have to tell you, um, a few, couple months ago, I was in Laos about a month and a half ago, and I really loved the people there. I, I actually... I move there, except for a few. Uh, I'm not going to get into the political issues, but um, in is a communist country still, and the impact of that ideology on the individual Adam is is was really eye opening as a therapist. Okay, I sat down with a group of young men after spending the day with a monk, a young novice monk. He was 19. And I taught him English all day, and we had a great conversation, smart young man. Later that afternoon, I went and hung out with um, a group of young men, because only the men were there. Because Women are too, too afraid, and they don't really have the opportunity. They don't take the opportunity to go and speak with Westerners. But I'd gone to this program, a nonprofit, to help uh, teach these people English. Anybody could show up. When I say these people, anybody in the community, only the men showed up. So I had about five young men, 19 to 21 years old. And they were so great and so engaging. And I said to one of them, I said, so if you could do or be anything, what, what do you want to do? And he just looked at me like he, he couldn't even, he can speak enough English. He knew what I was saying. There wasn't even a cognitive imprint of what I was saying there was no relevance culturally for what I was saying people don't ask youth what they want to do and what they want to be in that country
0: and that's scary to think about like that's what I was saying is that notion of uh not even not even being able to have the thought that you could think about changing what you currently believe. Imagine that existence not even being in your brain or being allowed. Um, and then what she said here is these the, the, these young men didn't couldn't even fathom the concept of being able to choose what you wanted to do, you know, or choose uh, what you wanted to do with your own life. Uh, I think learning that is influential. I think we should take a piece of that from around the country. And she's back at us. And Jill, keep going. No worries. I just talked about how uh, you know, sad that is that they can't even have or contemplate or have even the thought that they could change what they think they believe to be true.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that that was eye opening and that the work I'm doing, uh the leadership work I'm doing, the work you're doing, it makes a difference. I mean, just asking a kid and creating the space for who and what you want to do, creating vision. I mean, there was the, the idea of creating a vision and moving towards that goal isn't even a part of his reality. And that's the work you're doing. That's the work I'm doing. And it made me even more committed to doing it. And I think that's the beauty of world travel is it makes me appreciate not only what we have in our country, um, whatever country we're from, you know, we, that compare and contrast again, um, but it makes me even more committed to serving the youth in creating, um, an opportunity for vision.
0: Yeah. You were, uh, I'll go back to something else you were talking about, um, with the teen girls you work with and the idea of selfishness, um, and how they struggled with it and how you bring that to light to them. Um, with the idea of being selfish in your life or thinking about yourself, or you also brought up a huge point, uh, about, you know, this generation, it's so, I'm so glad you say it because I see it in my 16 year old daughter and I just want to make sure I'm not biased. Now I'm, now I know I'm all right. Um, is that hesitation to respond? You know, you'll see some of the older generations going, these kids don't even know how to communicate today. And they're, yes. right, they're right. A lot of them don't, but you're right. I think because they're used to the tweet and how many likes, how many retweets who responded and what they said. And judgment is very critical right now. They may be more aware about racism or not care as much uh, about those kind of things and see everybody as one, but they're much more heavily focused on the potency of, of uh personal judgment within peer groups.
1: Oh God. Yeah. I mean, for sure. There's, there's a whole, um, well immediacy to how they're showing up in the world so um i I think that what's interesting is this formatting here with you live on video is um is is where we're moving to uh with media so there's going to be less of an opportunity to edit and to um well edit the the appearance of you know social media has gotten dangerous because for, for many teens, I'm not going to be all freaky about it, but because I think social media is great, it's been great for my business, it's been great for connecting as I travel. But for some youth, they're really curating their reality, curating it, as opposed to being live and face to face with people and having to communicate live, able to edit their you know, posts, they're able to delete it, they're able to modify, um, they're able to, especially with, um, you know, photo apps, they're able to make themselves friend than they really are. But through the live experience, through video, and through the practice of authentic communication, we have to keep that alive. We have to keep encouraging. I think as leaders um, of youth, Uh, We have to keep encouraging them to have authentic communication where there's vulnerability, where there's discomfort, where there's imperfection.
0: Yeah. I I would, you, you talk, Oh man, uh, we got our delay. It's going to get us. Um, Sorry about that. We, you're right. That, that, you know how do we help them keep it alive i know we can obviously we just take it out of their hands um but the biggest struggle is really comes from the the environmental influence because even if the phone's not in their hands it's at the school it's in the environment hell you know i got i'll be honest you want to talk about transparency here we go um me as a father uh did a random phone check uh last night and the phone is now mine and now that the phone is mine I then was woken up at 6 a.m. this morning to say that, hey, I need my phone so I can go to school. And I now I'm not dreaming. And now I'm going to assume that that didn't happen. Right. And I kind of woke up and now I have to have this discussion of why my daughter has to take her phone to do schoolwork, because all of this phone is linked to her homework. It's linked to the way teachers respond with them. It's terrible. And I was like. Mm -hmm. Wait, look, I don't give a shit what anybody says. I don't care if the class needs it, the phone needs it or anybody else that the president needs it. The phone stays here and you can have fun and go to school, you know? And that's just the way it goes down. And you're right because it's such a distraction. It, it, you mentioned cultivating their own life is they get to piece it together. They get to, well, look, all of it is about what? Tell your story. What's your story? Hell, Snapchat is tell your story. and. We so passively they, they passively tell their stories with here's a video now judge the video not me as if they can remove themselves from their own behavior and action.
1: You know I think that I think that wow this is this is such a big one. Um, I'm I'm actually I'm actually speechless. My kids are nine and ten and you know they have their own phones and. And tools. There's learning. Most important thing is the ability to have live, authentic conversations, right? Live, authentic conversations with peers, with teachers, with parents, and it's too. Um, you know, it's too easy to again curate your reality. Um, and have a, it's having a distance from, well, people, okay, this is it. This is, this is the key. We are the most connected socially uh, cohort in, in history right now, right? As a cohort, as a, as a world, people, population living. But we're the most lonely.
0: Well, I would definitely agree we're one of the most lonely. I mean, you see us reaching out in all kinds of ways. Depression is more prevalent here. Addiction, uh, eating disorders, etc. Um, she's exactly right. We seem to be more lonely. And look, I don't want to sound like an old fart has been that's saying, Hey, you know, those old kids and their devices, I get the time changes, generations change. I'm a firm believer in internet access and connecting the world. It's toppled evil empires. It's, it's exchange information. Yes, 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 yes. But you know, with everything, you know, cause and effect as Jason Crabtree talked about yesterday is natural. And so we may have all these things, but it's a double edged sword. If, if we live by the phone, you die by the phone. And if we live by the interconnectedness, you die by the interconnectedness. And that idea of being, I love that being connected and still, feeling lonely as as jill was saying
1: no exactly what exactly you just said i mean that that really sums it up it's this sense of loneliness goes back to what i said 20 minutes ago about belonging and um but but there's always that doubt when um it's it's most of the communication or most of the um socialization is happening on screens there's a sense of what is missing the sensory the visceral experience of being connected as humans through smell, through taste, through uh, sense, through touch, right? These are five of our senses. When you're, when you're on a screen, you're only experiencing visual. If you're, if you're on a video and audio, right? Visual and audio. So you're missing smell, touch, taste, which is how you really experience the world, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that people have sense pheromones. We experience those things more than what we see. Look, it's a struggle. I have to stay so focused when I do interviews virtually like this and stay so immersed in what's happening because I don't have those senses because I, I can't be in front of you. I'll tell you how strong my senses are. My daughter's sitting on the uh, couch. I walk by and I catch a scent of a boy and I went, I went, no, that's a boy. I said, what is that smell? I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, that's new. She goes, are you kidding me? I went, no, I smell it. And she goes, (laughs) I just got my, she goes, I got my new Lush product in last night and it's actually a guy version, but I like the smell of it. And I,
1: it is. it
0: it was the smell. And, but I, she was like, holy shit. I'm like, daddy knows girl. Uh, You know what I mean? I'm like I can I know my my smell is serious I might have these glasses on but nature has influenced my hearing and my my sense of smell but um you know I it's hard to keep connected right and even your movement the visual I got to hesitate right? I see a smile I see freeze right so you try to stay with that and look I was explaining how look I, I don't want to sound like some old out of touch fart that's going hey your kids and your music but, I mean, let's look at the look at the realities of it, right? Let's stare at a screen. Let's interact how it is. Just look at the actual realities. And if you're seeing that in the teenagers, I see it in my daughter, is that almost inability or fear, the fear to communicate. They're scared yes. to say anything because of the like, the click, the judgment, because yes. that's what they do. Every time they tweet something, they get negative and positive, right? They get all kinds of shit. And so then I notice it because I travel with these girls on volleyball tournaments every other every other weekend. And you go, Hey, how you doing today? And they look at you like shit. You know, they, they go, do, yeah. do I say hello? Do I say hi? Do I say what's up? Do I wave? Do I they give you this look like, oh my God. And I again we sound like old farts or I do going, yeah, you know, you don't even know how to talk. But just look at it. It's it's true. Like you you see the lack thereof. And Louis C.K., the the comedian, says it best Uh, about TV. He goes, walk up behind your kids when they least expect it watching TV and shut it off. And if you see that response and you tell me that's healthy, walk up behind your kid on the phone and just take it from them and see the response and compare that to an addiction response of heroin.
1: Yes. Oh, we do that. My husband does that with our girls, and he loves to do it. He said when he was a kid, he used to do it with his youngest brother, who's about six years younger, and he does it, and you are exactly right. Um, Although I do have to say, thankfully, my younger daughter is still um, so attached to stuffed animals. I think she actually lost, lost her... Um, when we were in Indonesia and it was gone for about three weeks and then we ended up finding it in the bottom of a bag We just totally thought it was gone. She was she would have been more upset if it was one of her stuffed animals I was like, oh, thank God there. There's still that little like baby girl part of her, yeah. but um, You know, I mean it's it's
0: here's my daughter. My daughter goes well you do social media all the time. And this is, you know, you're always communicating and, you know, your friends are doing it. This is what you do for a living. Right. And I go, as I've encouraged you that you could, I said, but you know what else I do? I have a two to three hour conversation with five to seven people a week on my podcast. So I communicate directly with people every day in in depth situations. And she, I mean, she, you know, the look when they know they're beat, they're like, nah,
1: Yes. And I do the same thing, my kids, cause I really do. I have, a, I have an active um, presence on social media and I do not poo poo it at all. I think it's a powerful tool. I love what you're doing. Um, I love, uh, this, medium. I love podcasts. I listen to, you know, I listen to rich roll a lot when I run. Um, and now you're going to be, um, my, my right there with me when I run and, and do those long. Actually, I got a big trek tomorrow, so I'll bring you along with me. Okay, um, <laughs> but I, I think that there's so much. I don't. I'm not gonna poo-poo the whole thing. I'm not gonna say it doesn't have its place. But it's around creating authentic and empowered communication beyond the screen, um, and uh, and creating, being in creation of our vision and goals and dreams beyond what is in reaction to what the world is doing or what the friends are doing or what, um, is being asked of us, you know, and, and, um, I have learned so much actually, like I said, this has been my year to really devote to my, my kids, the original welfare girls, my two daughters who, um, uh, have, perhaps struggled a little bit with the amount of work I've done over the last few years in launching. I'd already had Welfit Institute started six years ago, but then with Welfit Girls and Warrior One, the documentary took almost two years in the making. um, You know, the feedback I was getting from family and from my husband was you need to slow things down and commit to the kids. And I haven't, Regretted a moment of that with this travel, although have struggled with is the online schooling which we've embarked on, and it's been an opportunity for me to reevaluate myself as a leader because it's not been an easy or natural transition from parent and owner of my own businesses, master of my destiny, to having to follow a curriculum. And facilitate that (laughs) it's brought out very un-Buddhist like qualities.
0: (laughs) Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the careful you're going to turn turn into your dad.
1: Let's just say, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been really tough. And then um, it's been an opportunity to be like, hey, this isn't my first choice, but how can I still rise to the occasion to facilitate and lead, um, you know, in this uncomfortable territory as parent, teacher, leader. And, and also to look at education. Cause some of this is like, really? Like it doesn't, it's not necessary. Um,
0: what's yet. I, oh, sorry. I thought you were done <laughs> again.
1: Yeah, no, no, I am done. I am done. Uh,
0: I, I had to know, you know, a lot of parents want to do what you're doing. Let's just face that they strive to that. What are some of the things uh, that people don't know about traveling with family and your kids as you go to. And after that, after after you talk about what that's like, uh, give us the specifics on this journey, like the days, the times, what you were doing, you know, get, get into that too, please.
1: Okay. Say that again. I kind of lost you for a minute.
0: Yeah. Um, a lot. I was talking to how a lot of people, you know, they dream of traveling the world. Many, many fam- parents dream of traveling the world and taking their kids with them, um, but what are some of the, the hard parts about doing that? What's are the, what are the less romantic notions to traveling the world with your kids, et cetera, uh, as you homeschool. And then after you kind of talk about that, I'd really like to know, um, what are some of the specifics about this journey? I mean, how many days, how many places, how many marathons, you know, what was the, what was the uh, itinerary, if you will?
1: Oh that's a good that's a really great question. Um the main you know the main thing is there's actually a few Facebook communities out there that're private and you have to actually be traveling um and meet a certain criteria to be invited into them. So it's, um, a networking for families way of and uh it's it's eye opening um some of the the more humbling experiences is is around the education um i told you i was homeschooled i swore i would never homeschool my kids and a lot of ways um i didn't feel completely prepared i ended up going to prep really did not get the hours in i needed to get as a as a young learner um and i am thankfully I'm smart. I don't mean to be like, Hey, I'm smart, but you know, I did really well. I was always a A plus student. I went to grade schools, um, all that thing, but I'm definitely not patient. I'm not a sit down and follow the rules kind of a person. And so that has been a huge challenge for me. And because I'm still blogging and running my, my companies, Wellfit Institute warrior one and the nonprofit Wellfit girls. When they sit down and do schoolwork, I want to do my work and I don't want to be bothered. And it just doesn't work that way. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I posted a blog. I've been, as we're friends on Facebook, you've seen me. I've been much more active on my Twitter, my Facebook, and my Instagram because I can do that quickly. But my blogs, whoa, like it has been humbling. I've had to put that aside and be an educator as well as a leader in my kids' education. I've also had to be an advocate because this one professor kind of chewed me out, like, you are way behind, and they need to be, you know, up on this level. Um, we ended up um, putting them in an online school. The fantasy was that we were going to educate them on our own. But the rigmarole, especially in Boulder, Colorado, where we live now, um, it's really difficult to prove that you have a curriculum now because I have a master's in psychology from a school of education, I could have gotten permission, but I would have had to write a curriculum. It was like, way, it was crazy. The the amount of work. So we are following an accredited international online school, but this guy's telling me, you know, you haven't done this, this, and this. And so I wrote him this letter. It was my first sort of FU letter. I've written in a long time. I was like, Oh, and I just wrote just the f- the last five countries we we've been to, and the historical sites and the religious sites and the the significant cultural experiences they've had the landmine museum c n n hero of the award uh, c- CNN H- award hero of the year uh, um, honoree, you know his landmine museum, and all this incredible stuff and I was like, "Is that enough for you for history buddy Like really a uh, sense of, yeah, we have to check off the box, but there's no comparing to what they're, they're learning. And they can speak more than 10 words in 10, 12 different languages right now.
0: Yeah, right. Without being yelled at about, where's your homework? Where's your nope. stupid paperwork? Right. Yeah, I, you know what? Fuck him.
1: Oh, we, yeah, we had words. Um, <laughs> But then again, then there's a side of me that um, unfortunately I made my husband do it because I was like, whatever writing, I don't know, writing a blog or something. He ended up, um, you know, getting her up to, to charge with it, whatever it took hours and hours and hours. And not that it's the end of the world, but I do have to say what they're learning by experience is incredible and far and above beyond. Um, but you know, I have to tell you, I had some fears going into this and, um, I just texted a friend about it yesterday. Um, I had these fears, silly fears. Now my biggest fear going into this trip—two fears were bed bugs and lice. Okay, and since then I've had like <laughs> dengue fever. Um, personally. I've had like major two major gut problems. How bad My daughters had
0: How bad did the uh fever get? I mean that's a uh that's not It was nice. bad.
1: No, it was it was really bad. Um like
0: what'd you really go, bad. What'd you go through? I know what what was that like?
1: Oh well it was such an interesting experience. It was really when you talk about the high power of the mind, I had I was in uh, Indonesia. I was in Ubud, which is gorgeous. It's like the yoga capital of the world, really, and such a groovy place, incredible whole foods and um, the best vegan restaurants and, you know, cold-pressed juices everywhere. They're delivering it to your hotel. I mean, it's just a paradise, right, after traveling for so many months. And um, I was training for the marathon. So I was getting up really early in the mornings and I'm that person that doesn't ever get bit by mosquitoes. So I say, so I never put bug spray on and because I was getting up pre-dawn and running, you know, for two hours, sometimes up to three hours in the mornings, I was getting the Um, dengue exposure, which I didn't know that dengue was a daytime mosquito. Um, Most of the malaria is in the evening. So I didn't ever think of my risk in the mornings or in the daytime. So still didn't know. But when I was in Ubud, I decided to do a healing cleanse to stir all flesh. So I go, you know, this is awesome. I go to um, the Ayurvedic, the best Ayurvedic health clinic in Ubud world-renowned, natural healer, fantastic. You know, I start the whole cleanse off with the colonic. Things are just going to be amazing. I'm going to be a clean machine, right? Day one and a half, my legs start hurting like you don't even know. Like I've never had pain like this in my life. So my legs are really hurting. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that can happen with a cleanse. It's just, you know, detox. It's Okay. And I'm saying okay, and I'm thinking, well, this is just more than everybody else. Four other people were doing this intensive cleanse with me, and I said, "Do your legs hurt?" And they're like, uh, "Not really. It's more my head and my, you know, my, uh, my stomach, whatever." I'm like, "I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm training for a marathon. I'm getting all the toxins out. Like I've got it in my head now. I've self-diagnosis. I had some, you know, myofascial injury. It's it's from the cleanse, right? It's from the the running." Um, another day later, I'm crippled. I can't even walk now. And I can't ride the motorcycle. I rented a motorcycle the whole time I was there. Can't even ride the motorcycle because I can't balance. I can't stand on two legs. So I'm lying on my back with my legs up the wall, yoga pose, Viparita Karani. And, um, I'm feeling like a total asshole, like a wimp. Like I'm like, okay, this cleanse, I was thinking I was going to be running through this cleanse. You know, I'm messaging a cleansing lady. I'm feeling like that, you know, cuckoo American. She's like, no, 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 it's all good. You're just cleansing. So I continue. I drink my juices, wheatgrass, coconut water, um, green drinks, everything you can imagine. Days go on like this. Then the fever is so high. But again, I'm cleansing. I'm researching it. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm having a cleansing reaction. You can convince yourself of anything, let me tell you. I finally email, text my friend in the States and she says, Oh, you're, I I text. All I said was I'm dying. It's new year's by the way, new year's Eve. My friend had visited from us with us from the States, my husband, my kids, they're all out. They're partying. It's new year's. I'm in bed with a fever. And I text my friend. I said, I am dying. She said, no, my love you're being reborn. I said, I don't know. I think I'm dying, but okay. I'm being reborn. And sure enough, Um, it just went on for days and days and days. And then I even traveled with this high fever. I don't know how many people I could have exposed if, you know, they, they, the mosquito bit me and then it bites someone else. So finally I go into the jungle and I'm struggling. I mean, I'm barely functioning. I hadn't eaten in six, seven days at this point, not a bite, not a bite, lost 10 pounds. And, um, But I wanted to go into the jungle because I'd gotten special permission from my friend who's a researcher, and I was out at her orangutan research station in Borneo. This is like as badass as it's ever gotten in my life. Forget big walls. I'm like in the jungle six hours deep by car, by uh, three hours down a river in a banca boat, like a tiny little canoe, hiked in an hour. I mean, it is like as, as remote as it gets. And next thing you know, I look down at my legs and they're hemorrhaging. And I've got these capillaries, red veins coming all the way up my legs. And I'm like, I say to the guy, I was like, could I have gotten bit by something? I don't, I, you know, I said to one of the scientists and because the only people out there are scientists, they've never had lay people out there. And he looks at me, he goes, "Ah, oh, yeah, when my girlfriend had dengue, that's what happened. And I was like, oh,
0: shit.
1: I got dengue, man and he goes no 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 you'd know if you had dengue you couldn't get out of bed i go mm, i haven't been out of bed in a week i said i really rallied to get out here and sure enough you know that then fo- the next phase of torture comes along which is itching palms and itching soles of the hands it's the weirdest the hands and soles of the feet and you know basically i survived it and um, I just talked to a travel doctor while I was trekking in um, the mountains. And the good news is I'm as immune to dengue as I will ever be for the next four more months. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, travel to more dengue places because you've got immunity for about six months after you've had it. So there there you go. <laughs>
0: well, maybe there's a, a place you're supposed to be that you can go. But girl, you are lucky as shit. Yeah.
1: Nothing yeah. well, not that well,
0: lucky, but I mean you're out there in the middle of nowhere. That's where you die. That's how it happens. Just well, like that. You get bit. Yeah, you-
1: and I haven't Yes. And I haven't met one person as you travel now. We we talk about, you know, the war stories and um everybody I know who's had it does go to the hospital. But I have to tell you, the thing that saved my life, ironically, was that I was on that cleanse. Because I was so cleansed out, I didn't get the typical, you know, everybody gets the diarrhea and they can't drink fluids. I was so well hydrated, even though I was still thirsty and drinking as much. I was so hydrated that it saved my life. So that was good. Um, it it really um, took me out of my marathon training. I was out for three weeks, um, but but it was also a good. It was a good um a good lesson in the power of the mind. Is I had that one little insightful. To my friend, when I said I, I'm dying, like it didn't feel right, and I kept saying something's not right, but I was, you know, being told by this healer again. Even the well, most well-intentioned healers, as you know, you you're examining and um and uh, revealing the ills of the pharmaceutical company. These people that convince us of a way, we start to believe it, and then we fall into it. Um, my deepest down intuition was something wasn't right, and I I didn't listen to it.
0: Wow, uh, that's talking about you know learning to yourself, and but it was about pushing yourself because girl, I was going to say after seven days you had to rally to get out of bed. I'm I'm going to say that's an understatement with the rally to get out of bed. Yeah, um, I I don't know how you superwomaned out of bed that day, but I'm glad you made it you know made it back from that, and we took a right turn off of that into into your fever uh, pitch there. I mean that's girl, that's scary. That's dangerous. That changes lives too, you know, that you get through that and find places. But, uh, to the specifics of your travel, when you set out, did you have an itinerary? What was it? Did you set out to run all these marathons? You know, what was, what was the goal, if you will?
1: Okay. That's a great question. The main goal was, was connection with family and kite surfing. Um, I'm doing the six world major marathons, but I was only originally signed up for, um, for Tokyo actually on this trip and any other marathon that came away uh, came along. So there will, will hopefully be a couple more during the trip. Uh, I actually, one of my greatest disappointments of recent was I was signed up for Tokyo, which I almost didn't get to do. I was able to do that. Um, I, it was amazing. Six days later, I was supposed to do Bhutan. I ended up again in the hospital with a stomach with some flu. I got like a 24 hour flu, um, 15 hours before the race. It was so such a bummer. I've never ever had to pull out of a race and, um, I'd picked up the race packet. I was psyched. Like there was only, I think about a hundred of us running the whole marathon and national marathon is only their third year. Um, the princess of Thailand was running the half marathon. Um, but I, I was, I was flat out. I mean, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't throw up very much, and that's all I was doing for a good ten hours through the race. Ended up having to go to the hospital, um, so I missed the Bhutan marathon. Might have been a blessing in disguise um, because of the trekking, which we trekked in Bhutan last week, right after the marathon, and then also this week in Nepal. I'm actually. Dealing with a knee injury right now from the really pretty intense trek last few days. So it ended up working out, even though i was disappointed. Um, so, fitness trekking, um, mountain exploration, kite surfing, those were the main goals of this journey, as well as cultural exploration for the kids. It's a huge undertaking. You're asking, and I'm going to be real, it is not an easy task planning a year long trip. It's actually going to be 10 months when all is said and done. Um, we were really smart. My husband's actually done a lot of the legwork with the flights because once you can have a skeleton of flights, if you can, the best way to do it, if anybody wants to do this, and I'm happy to talk to any of your listeners who want to email me, message me, Facebook me, whatever, because it's a complicated process. But if you can afford, um, To take the time and the money, even to find, um, we have a great travel agent who specializes in round the world travel. We didn't buy one ticket because if you buy the round the world ticket, you're really locked in and you can't layover. So we've changed so much since we've traveled. Like we weren't going to go to India, we just decided a month ago to go to India. We wanted to go, but because of the political challenges with uh, China, they closed their borders because you know they're. It's not a good time for Tibet. Let's put it that way. And China doesn't want you to see what they do to them. So we couldn't do Tibet. So we added China. Or sorry, we, sorry, we did not add China. We added India. Um, we um, are adding um, Dubai because we met a great guy in the Philippines. Um, and we cut our time short in uh, Indonesia in order to go to the Philippines so we've really changed a lot but we had the skeleton from the beginning of you know the basic route we wanted to go and if we love place, oh my god French Polynesia we started there It was it was really hard to start in French Polynesia let's put it that way I do not recommend it it's like finish there it's just so fantastic it's hard to start there um, but we after a week on an island there, we decided to charter a sailboat, and we sailed all around the islands. So things like that, you know, we're like, "Oh, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity." Okay, let's blow our budget within the first two weeks of being gone.
0: <laughs> oh man! So, so well, that adds. But there's
1: certain, there certain things. There's certain things that we knew we were going to do, like you, you have to book the RV in New Zealand ahead of time because they, frankly, they run out and um, there are certain things we haven't been able to do because we didn't plan enough in advance, which is fine because we'll find other things. But um, yeah, um, definitely anybody who wants to ask more about this, there's the main focus is um, cultural conscious travel, culturally conscious travel, and kite surfing and adventure. And we're really off the beaten path type of people. So we look for um, really unique experiences, um, boutique experiences. Um, We don't do a lot of travel guided stuff in Bhutan. You have to. Um, And it ended up being amazing. We went to a friend of a friend who's now our friend. Um, And you just, we take our time. We ask questions. We connect with people. And that's the best way to do it.
0: You're dropping knowledge to him. Um, I, I love it. I was, uh, I ordered the book, the book vagabonding, but uh, I'm, I'm yet to, uh, get it or begin it yet. But, um, perhaps, uh, here in the next couple of years, I don't know. Maybe, uh, I don't know. You may be inspiring me. I was sitting here thinking about you and I was kind of going, you know, maybe when my daughter graduates, instead of just rushing her off to that college or whatever, we all just disappear for a year and, uh, we all go away for a while. But I mean, so much of what you're saying is great knowledge that people need. I know actually two people in particular that have just started their travel blogs and have opened up themselves. And uh, I know they're going to listen to this show and go, thank you, Mrs. Jill Wheeler for, for, you know, all the knowledge that you're dropping them. And I, I love that. I was again, wishing I had my pen, you know, to write down, but (laughs) I want to lead in to, you know, we got about, um, about 15 minutes before the podcast shuts down anyway. So, um, I was uh, uh, deleted. You ever seen that part where you started to say something like, nope, that's not what I was going to say. Uh, if you, could, it. if you could go back, uh, to your 20 year old self, what advice would you give her?
1: Oh my God. That the number one advice I give to myself is you are enough as you are, but you could always do better and i i love that you're enough as you are that doesn't mean complacency stick with what you are that means again acceptance and moving forward into greatness stepping into greatness good enough as you are stepping into greatness good enough as you are stepping into greatness i um i injured myself a lot in my 20s you asked it's a perfect time because that was my personal revolution i wasn't uh, listening to my whole self because I was um, trying to prove greatness that i wasn 't ready for yet, so instead of just accepting my body with its at its level, say uh, just one example with rock climbing it 's a great metaphor. Um, I was pushing beyond where I was, not respecting where I was, and basically um, in that created a lot of injury and a lot of pain. So what I would say is you can't reach the top step without starting with the one you're on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Dropping up. In, I, that's man. We are weird. This is, I, if I pulled up a <laughs> a thing I wrote down the other day about, you know what? I'm going to have to prove myself. Otherwise I sound like a pretentious asshole. Um, <laughs> Right. I'm I'm serious. I uh I don't know. I tried to make this this note about whatever it was, but uh, uh heroin, right. people are listening, going, you're not going to find it. Right. And here I am trying to, to find it. But uh, I talked about that's so weird, man. I just very briefly about uh we may hate that stone or step that's in front of us, that's right above us. And you're going, mother, you know, why are you so high or so far over there? Such a pain in my ass. And then, when that stone then becomes the stone you're standing on to reach up to the next one, you so much appreciate it, especially more so on the way down.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And, man, we are just a to z, a to z. It becomes,
1: it becomes a point of pride instead of the um, the <sighs> obstacle of oppression, right? It becomes the point of pride as opposed to the obstacle of oppression, and that is the the crux of what I'm trying to teach not even trying what I'm um, p- creating is an opportunity for learning with wealthy girls with even my daughters. Oh my God. Uh okay. I don't try to mean, I don't mean to sound like all um, hunky dory, you know, like partridge family. We're having one big love fast because honestly, like sometimes I just want to like run off the mountain away from my family. When I hear my daughter like, do we really have to go that far? I'm like, God damn it! I have a bad knee. I just ran a marathon. Like, I just want to throw down all of my complaints at once to shame her immediately, right? But it's like, okay, taking a moment, you know.
0: I think <laughs> that going. You know what? Ah, off the mountain, right? And you know, <laughs> I asked a question a while ago, what are some of the downfalls about traveling with family? And you were building up to it about the homeschooling, you know, that, well, the fever and every other thing that you caught along the way. But then that one, I think, nailed it. That one nailed it. There's times where I'm just going to jump off <laughs> the mountain.
1: Oh well, yeah, or like run away. I'm just like, I'm, a, I'm out. Like, I can't even hear your voice right now. Like, seriously. I, and there's only so much like, positive you know blissful you know ignoring you can do when you're finally like shut the hell up you are having a good life i take photos truly yesterday i took a damn photo of these two little girls carrying a bucket heavy as shit of the whole entire family's jeez it might have been the whole village's laundry for all i know the moms were you know on the side of a dirt road path Doing the laundry in a waterfall, coming down the mountain because right? Right. it's finally a beautiful day, It's been cloudy for days, and the little girls are young, younger than my daughters, seven and eight years old, maybe tiny little things, carrying both of them struggling to carry this bucket full of wet, heavy laundry so they could hang it up. That is what they're doing. It was a Monday or a Tuesday, actually. they were not in school; they were carrying wet heavy laundry in a bucket down a dirt mountain path to their village. I took a picture. My, my daughters were like ahead of me cause I was limping with my bum knee and, and I showed it to them at dinner. I was like, yeah, basically you have nothing to complain. About. It was like, they were complaining about school or who knows first what it was.
0: Problems. We said it yesterday. First world problems, man. I was, uh, oh. somebody tweeted a comparison meme yesterday with Kim Kardashian and somebody else where, she, uh, I, no, not Kim. It was the mom. I don't know the name, but she said the meme was like, sometimes life gets so frustrating. There's always 10 cars in the driveway and 10 strollers in the garage. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then underneath it was a picture of someone holding out an empty bucket for water, you know, and you're looking at that going, I'm sorry. There's always 10 Mercedes in your driveway. That that just must be totally frustrating uh for, for what you're going through, man. I, you know, and we see that. And then I'd ask you, how much do you think though? Is that here is the double edged sword again? Greatest strength, greatest weakness, in reference to the internet and exa exa access again. Is do you think that because they can see pictures of this, they can see, they know about these problems, they know about starvation, they know about. Um, the lack of access to everybody else. And do you think maybe seeing it and having all that access to it somehow numbs them to this idea that, yeah, I see it now, but I've seen it online. So whatever.
1: Yes. Yes. I think you're right. Um, You know, and I think what we have to show is, um, is our own vulnerability and not, not ourselves being inured by it. Um, I, uh, we had dinner tonight, believe it or not. Um, it's pretty intense with a, a girl who's a, who's a victim of the earthquake. Now we're talking less than a year ago here in Nepal, and this man that I met through um, through a a friend. She's a, a travel writer. She'd been to Nepal in October eight months ago, and uh, when we were coming, you know, I really want to support the local community. We don't tend to be poor people. But we want to go out into the villages, and I want to do some rebuilding. So actually, that's where we're going tomorrow. We're going to do rebuilding in a Sherpa village called Junbesi in um, Nepal. And like hard, real labor. This man um, that my friend connected me to is a tour guide operator. So we hired um, him to help us organize these mountain journeys for us. So he invited us to dinner tonight. So we had dinner with him, and we had, he actually invited her to his house the first night we were here last week. So we had dinner with him there, and these two young girls are living with him and one of his guides. Um, they're raising these girls from the village. They lost everything, and one of the things she lost was a leg. And um, he just told me more of the story, her story tonight. But the, my girls have been hanging out with her now two nights with her and, um, they, you know, they had a lot of questions, which was really, really good. But I worry about that, that they're going to see it and they're going to be like, okay, I see it. I've seen it. I've experienced it when they get home. Thank God for my, my easy life. That's my only fear. I don't think that's going to happen because we're not going to allow it, but really what's happened. I mean, this is the real deal that they're seeing. I mean, they, they, Um, are experiencing these people, not as statistics, but as real living, struggling human beings. And they're sensitive and they care. And yet they're still just teaching her to play Uno, just like she's another kid. So, you know, there's that interesting um, duality of, yes, they, they know that they're different. And they also just treat her like any other kid, which is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, they they can definitely be amazing at those generations and, and when they see it, you know, I, I think I was, you know, really pointing out the fact that they're so inundated with, you know, violence, sex, etc. And I say it again, here I am sounding like an old dad with a 16 year old saying, Oh, the, the music today, the TV today. I mean, it's just as graphic and sexual as it was back then. I'm going to, I'm going to say that, but the access, the access to it has changed. The easy access to it has changed. I mean, hell, yes. we we had, the, we had those influences, you know, I mean, uh, I could find the, the porn or the thing if you wanted to, you know, you could find all that, but, uh, you know, this generation is just tap, tap, and there's a dead body tap, tap, and there's someone shot bleeding. I mean, scan through Facebook one day and look at all the, uh, you know, world star type videos, all these YouTube things to where you, you I mean, they're just watching people executed. I mean, this is what's out there and people become, Numb to those things, I think, and we can lose our spirit. We can lose our focus in it by having to numb ourselves out to that reality of it. And you immersing your your kids in that, tons of research and everything else shows. But it's also practicality, just to look and see that. Of course, experiencing that is going to bring that to their forefront, and it, it'll for, it, it'll change their lives. I think and impact them uh, probably for most of it.
1: I think you're right, and I and I just finished today actually a book um, about the very serious and real uh, human trafficking child, sorry, child trafficking um, problem here in all in Kathmandu. And, and it's as recent as eight years ago that this, these horrible stories were happening. I mean, the kids are like 1920 now, most of the kids that um, this, this real story is about and the nonprofit that was created and, Um, I read it the whole time I was trekking. And as we were driving through Kathmandu today, I was literally crying. I couldn't stop crying because these little children, all of a sudden I had an awareness as I was driving through Kathmandu last week that I didn't have. And I just saw children on the street, street children, and they were coming up to our window and begging and just sitting there. And you could see the man behind them. It's real. The man behind him, he's, he's, they're probably working for him. And, um, and it's, it's, it's huge. And I have my kids, my one child started reading this, the um, book today after I finished it. And um, yeah, it was really, it's, it's poignant. It's real. There's just still a lot happening in the world. And I do believe I'm growing leaders that are going to come back and make a difference. And I asked them, I said, do you see all this? Does this matter to you? Do you think you would ever come back to make a difference I know I'll be back to Nepal I will be back to make a difference this is just dipping my toe in this is a powerful place and it's really touched in ways that I wasn't expecting but I also know and I'm grateful for the fact that it's touching my daughters just like I know well that girls is touching those girls and that is all I want I don't want to be a hero I don't want to be uh, known as a leader I just want to instill a seed that's going to create um, something positive for the next generation.
0: And you are, you're doing that. And, you know, we got about four minutes before uh, we turn into a pumpkin, but, you know, I, you almost spouted it there, but sometimes I, I'm, I ask the direct question anyway, just be, it'll bring out, you know, some of those new things. And first off too, I, I want to thank you for doing the show and coming on too. But, um, you know, what is your life philosophy to date?
1: My life philosophy Well, without sounding too rote, um, something that resonates continually with me and, and it's like a mantra is create vision, practice wellness, seek adventure. It also happens to be my tagline for my company. And I have to say my company is an extension of me. The work I do is my passion. Um, and it's not just the work I do with my career, but with my family and, um, becoming, uh. Becoming unified and becoming one with what I think, what I believe, and what I say, and what I do. So it's all in alignment. And that's really it. Creating a vision, practicing that vision, practicing it in a well way, and seeking adventure along the way, and being open to new experience. And new ideas and new influence.
0: Oh, I think I fell in love today. Awesome. I mean it now. Come on the journey. You know, I'm always in. I'm down. We're going to have to take one soon. I'm going to be getting notes from you too when we take off on on our little thing. You may may have sparked something in me and I had to go grab the other marker, but uh, it sounded like you were spouting something I was going to have to write on our cave wall here for knowledge. And that life philosophy is generally what we end up writing up there. So um, if you would, I'm taking the headphones with me. If you'll spout to me what it is you want me to write and sign for you on the cave wall, Sounds good. Sometimes the camera won't reach all the way to where you can make out all the words exactly. But it's pretty. Oh, I
1: love it. I see it.
0: Yeah. All of it is just signatures from one end down to the other of everybody that's been on the show. So um, what I'm going to try to do maybe is post this up here. There you go. And you tell me what to write and I'll write it. Are you ready? I am.
1: Create vision. Practice wellness. Seek adventure.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to try to sign it how I think you would sign it. Uh,
1: Well fit Jill. Well fit Jill.
0: Well fit Jill. Done. You have been added to the cave wall. Love it. And we are. We are. We are. We are. And I love it. Create vision, practice wellness, and seek adventure by yours truly, well fit Jill.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, please. Now give out all the shout outs, all the people you love, all the thank yous, all the hellos back home. (laughs) Run down your list if you got to. Hold up a book if you wrote it. Um, Put out all your uh, handles, taglines, dot .coms, where to find you, all that stuff.
1: Okay. Well, I'm currently writing, um, I, have, I have about seven blogs that are backlogged, so um, don't lose hope. Keep, keep going to my blog, jillwheeler.com. Um, my blog is there. Um, follow me at WellFit Institute, which is on Facebook. Um, we've also got WellFit Girls, which is our nonprofit um, leadership program, and we head to Peru in four months. Um, WellFitGirls.org. Hey, we're always accepting donations, and we've got some great – sponsorship opportunities nationally and um and locally. So definitely check that out. It's such an incredible immersion program. Um definitely inspiring and leading the charge in a unique way. Um warrior one movie, go to Warrior One Movie on Facebook. Also Instagram and Twitter for for all of those. Um, the movie's going to be out on on iTunes soon and or um, on our website. But if anybody really wants to see it, message me and I'll give you a private link for sure. Um, as a special thank you to having me on this show. Um, Wealth with Jill on Twitter and Instagram, follow our journeys and for sure, reach out. I'm happy to connect with anybody who wants to um, head out on any inspiring journey, be it across the street or across the world. I'm here. I really love connecting with people. Um, yeah. And I'm writing a book right now. The tentative title is run the world.
0: Ah, that's what you're doing. Well, um, what I'd like to do is if when you, um, when you get back, how much longer you got on your trip here?
1: Uh, I, after I lead, I've got, um, just so you know, I've got a really exciting, um, Expedition to Peru along with our well fit girls. We um, I have a women's expedition going for the first time um, While my amazing leadership team Colby Robertson Andrew Moranti, and Amy vocal are leading WellFit girls and and Andrew's got his own business um, innate fitness and um, many other ventures check him out um, Coach Andrew Moranti. he is such an, a great leader motivator and inspiration um So he'll be down in Peru. We, we're bringing women for the first time, and we've only got a couple spots left. My partner, Linda Banishek, and I will be leading that um, yoga, spiritual transformational journey to one of the most incredible places on the planet. So I will be back in the States in July after that trip. And if anybody wants more information on that, just contact me directly at Jillwheeler.com. Or Jill at WellfitInstitute dot
0: Perfect. Any uh, friends, lovers back home? Obviously, no lovers. You're with them, but friends. Uh, anybody, yeah. else? <laughs> anybody else? You just want to put out. Um,
1: there to to? I, I miss. I miss my mommy so much, um, and family, friends, everybody. I just. I'm so grateful to have a team. Um, my, my board of directors at, at Wellfit Girls running the show. It's just such an incredible um, humbling and, uh, beautiful process that I could take this time on sabbatical to be with my family and know that the program is being run really, really well. I'm grateful for them and all my friends and family, you know who you are, my husband for creating, co-creating this world journey, um, for sure.
0: Well, when, uh, when you come back from it, um, I'd love to do a trip report with you and your husband. That would be fun to have you both down, maybe even the little ones running around you. But let's do a uh, trip report, maybe, if you get back or if your book comes out. I'll tell you, Jill, this mic is open for you whenever you need it, uh, whenever you want to promote something or say hello. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to do a follow-up trip report with the whole family.
1: I love that. Thank you so much. I'm going to take you up on that for sure.
0: Yeah, I got some questions for the little girls out there. I I got a couple for them.
1: They will reveal all, let me tell you. They they might be bordering bordering that uh, empowerment versus uh, overly empowerment. I don't know if that's possible. Entitlement? I hope not.
0: No, man. They're just little narcissists at that age, man. That's all. Yeah.
1: I will never tell them they're being selfish, okay?
0: <laughs> hey, I, that's why I said narcissist.
1: <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you.
0: Uh, Jill, thank you so much. I look forward to the to the trip report. Be safe wherever you go. Watch out for the mosquitoes. Spray the bug spray. Um, keep teaching the people around. Uh, loving those people and serving those out there. I'm sure some people are going to be following you after this. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. Namaste from Nepal.
0: Ah, Namaste from the Cognitive Cave. All right. Bye, bye. Take care and love Bye-bye.
1: you. Thank you.
0: You too. I have to say, uh, I enjoyed that podcast immensely. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Jill again uh, when she gets back um, or anytime soon. I want to let you know that uh, my book, The Cognitive Rampage, A Dose of Authentic Revelation, will be out March 25th, 2016. That's next Friday. Uh, It will be dropping You can begin pre-sale orders on my website, AdamLowry.com, starting Monday at 10 a.m., where on my site, you can only buy the limited edition version. And in that limited edition version, in each limited edition version, there's a $250 gift for anyone that purchases a limited edition book, Um, as well as issues number 1352, one fifty-two, one thousand fifty-two, etc., etc. Ten thousand fifty-two, hundred thousand fifty-two. Each one of those fifty-second prints, and the thirteen, because that's my daughter's number. But every fifty-second print that comes out has something else on top of it that I'm calling an opportunity. And we'll leave it at that. But you can buy my book uh, either through the website, beginning March twenty-fifth, or pre-sale beginning Monday. March 21st. From the website. But otherwise you can find it at Amazon, iTunes, Kindle download version. Uh, a few other places. Uh, even some bookstores. But uh, again. I love talking to Jill. We probably could have went on and on. Uh, if the do cut up. Or uh, losing signal wasn't there. Uh, I probably would have gone longer. And much smoother. But we had run smooth that last hour or two. And I just wanted to. Leave it at that, I didn't want to be too greedy I felt like Jill had already done a lot And taken uh, some time away from her family And her journey to uh, speak with us So I didn't want to keep going But she will definitely be back on Uh, I enjoyed that thoroughly And I hope you're taking care of you And I hope you're living your cognitive rampage Love you